Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day, Lord. We ask that, um, Lord, that you would have your hand on our body. Um, We thank you for your uh, graciousness to us as a congregation over the last 72 years. Uh, We thank you for the variety of people that you have impacted uh, through uh, this local church that is your church. Uh, Father, we ask that you would guide us as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 today and a variety of other passages. Lord, that um, you would help us um, to see clearly what you have laid out um, for the church. It's, it's your institution. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us as a congregation to stay faithful to you, uh, that we would stay true to your word. Uh, we live in a culture that is uh, growing more and more hostile to the gospel, and we live in a state in particular um, where where things are changing. And and so, Lord, we ask that you would help us um, to always stay true to your word um, and that you would just guide us as a body. Lord, we are grateful for all that you are doing and have done in our midst, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. First uh, Timothy chapter three verse fourteen. Paul is writing to young Timothy. Um, this is referred to as a pastoral epistle. This is one of the letters um, that sheds light on the Christian church and and how it's to order itself and function and the things that it's supposed to do. Um, so chapter verse fourteen. Excuse me. I am writing these things to you hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He, that is Jesus, who was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Father, we praise you for your word. We thank you for it. We thank you for your spirit, which guides us. We look to him today that he would lead and guide and direct us, Lord, as we worship you through the studying of your word now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so um, I've explained I, I have to stay a little bit more to my notes because it's not so much the text, and so I have to follow the script, not the script, but my notes here. Um, so we, we, I've already explained. We normally do this once a year, and today we're going to talk, uh, you know, take a time to pause for us to not so much recalibrate, but to focus. I, I think of... Uh, I think it was Lombardi, you know, the, 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 the coach of uh, Green Bay Packers. And I guess every, at the beginning of every year, he'd look at the team and he'd hold up a football. These are like professional football players. And you say, this is a football. And the idea was, okay, let's get back to the basics. Like, let's remember the fundamentals. And so that's a lot of what we um, are, are doing here today. Um, over the years... We used to celebrate the restart of, of my coming, which was 12 years ago. We got to about the 10-year mark, and I'm like, well, it's not about me, and the church is really a whole lot longer than 10 years old. And, and so um, the idea today is to, to remember sort of the origins of this church, uh, not going back to the apostles, but the church in Valley Center. So Melanie found this picture. The next slide. I told Abigail, I told her. So... This is um, by my, from talking to people that know people in this picture. Um, for those of you that know Ruth Abbott, um, she was here for many years, but then after her husband Tom passed away, she um, pr- pretty much stayed down in San Marcos now where she lives. But her dad is, uh, the one person I know who it is, is her dad is on the, the right of this building. This is where the church was. What we know today is Fat Ivers. It was known something, as something different back then. So this is like 1968 by the best calculation. Late 60s, not into the 70s. I have no idea what kind of car that is. Um, the church's founding 
in forensic studies kind of going back, the, the best that I can tell is the church has its foundation in about 1947. Um, there's a lot of rumors. I wasn't here. I don't need to perpetuate rumors. Um, but they used to meet uh, where the post office apparently used to be, but I never knew the post office to be there at Old Road across the street from Fat Ivers. And so they, I guess the post office was like a convenience store, and they like, but then they got this property. And then somewhere in the mid-90s, they sold that property, because I think it's a house now. I don't, know if there's, I don't think there's still a steeple in the house, but they sold the house. And then this church met at the Seven-Day Adventist Church until this building was built um, in the mid-90s. Um, so much of the history of this church has been lost in history, just, just because by the time that we, our family arrived here, the, the church was literally wrestling with, do we close the doors and shut down and walk away? Because we, we are financially on fumes. We don't have the people. All of the people are dying. The eight or so people that were there were mostly in their 80s. Alberto and Irma were different. Um, they were the youth group, probably, you know, at their age. And so... Um, when I look back to those individuals, I am super grateful. Today tends to be an emotional day for me because um, my personal life and the history of this church are so grafted together that it's hard for me to see. Um, it's not like this is a job. This is my life has been planted along with this church. And so I am super grateful for those individuals that held on to the very bitter end and made some difficult decisions in order to stay alive. And so when I look at our church today, um, this is a holiday weekend, and I know of a number of people who are traveling and are able to come, and, and it's the, the, we are very full today with people, which was not the case back then. Uh, statistically, um, from what I've done, the re- no, I haven't done the research, from research that I've researched, <laughs> uh, it, it seems that 11 churches close their doors a day. That's 4,000 churches a year in, in America. Um, many churches haven't closed but are spiritually dead. Um, and that's where this church was. And so I'm really passionate about um, keeping churches alive, especially in California, as we see Christians fleeing California, we're losing our witness here. And like we should be sending, the nation should be sending Christians here as missionaries. And so, um, not really related, but I'm like I, I feel personally convicted to stay and to be here in Valley Center until I retire or die. I mean, that's um, with that. I'm the 20th pastor of the church. Um, I've been here March or May 20th of 2007 was when I came. So on May 20th, that marks the 12-year anniversary of my being here. I am the longest-running pastor of this church. Um, the second person behind me was Pastor George Farrington, who's passed away, and I'll get choked up talking about him. Um, you know, little Jorge that you guys know, my crazy kid? Uh, Jorge is Spanish for George. And so Gideon, like, sorry, George, but like, I didn't know how he was going to turn out. But, but Gideon's named after George um, because that man had a tremendous impact in keeping this church alive. He served here during the 60s, probably during that picture. And then when he retired, um, he left the church, obviously, and then he retired back in the 90s. And in his retirement, he really shepherded this church until I came. And so it's probably not fair to give him nine years. It's pro- he probably should have more time than that. So that leaves 18 other pastors over a span of 17, 72 years. If you subtract my time and their time, the average turnover of pastors at this church has been two and a half years. Um, some, some were here, as you look at the logbook, some were here for six months, some were here for you know, maybe upwards of three years. But... I don't want to go into too much speculation or condemnation on who was right or wrong. Um, 
but, but there's been a very, very long list. There's a long list of pastors with short turnover, which no matter how you slice it, it, has, it did not aid uh, to the health of this congregation. And so by the time we came 12 years ago, this church was in, di- like it was in dire straits, both uh, spiritually. Um, well, I wouldn't say spiritually. The people that were there were, were good, God-loving people, and I believe that I'll see them in heaven. Um, so we have another picture. I, we, 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 I shared this picture last year when we were going through Revelation, the dead church. And so this was on, I think, March 18th, uh, March 29th of 2008. So I count 16 people in the picture. There were, so there were probably 20 people at church. I don't want you guys to miss my little baby Gracie down there holding the hymnal. Like, uh, uh, I don't know if you guys saw her or not. Um, so I don't know what you guys see. Um, some people go, oh man, that was like small. What I see is that was like a record-breaking Sunday. Like, like we had grown. We had, like this is Easter. Like this is a full house. Um, and I, when I look at this picture, some who are still around, I don't see them here today. I think they were a celebration. But you'll see uh, Pete and Dolores up in the front row there. And they came here early on. Um, Ruth is here, who I mentioned earlier. She said she was going to come today, but I don't see her. Or maybe she's here and I don't see her. Um, but, but these people were like people that said, we believe in you. We believe in this church. We want to fight for this church. And, and uh, it, it, it warms my heart. But back then, the leadership team of the church was, if you had a heartbeat and you were willing to show up, you were welcomed. And so there's one little gray hair person that kind of bleeds into the light and the sharp, but you see her right there. That's Evie. <clears throat> that is George's wife. And I'll never forget one of the early meetings when we got here. We'd been here a few months and we said, don't worry, we're going to go really, really slow. We'll kind of, we won't make a whole lot of changes. We'll just sort of fill things out. And I'm thankful that I wasn't sitting within arm distance of her. Like, we think that Pat Towsley has feist. She was from New York. And, <laughs> and so she didn't physically assault me, but with her eyes, she grabbed me and said, brother, we're all dying. This community needs Christ, and so we don't care what you do. You, we need to reach our community for Christ and so these people were praying for a lot of you who weren't here. So the next slide, a little zoom on. Um, so this is um, Grace, obviously, my wife and, and us, and George and Evie. They were married for a number of years. It was the first time in my life I'd ever been exposed to somebody who had been married for like 65 or 67 years. I'd never experienced that sort of commitment in my life before. Um, uh, they, he died and she died six days later and I did their funeral on the East Coast and it was the worst funeral I ever did because I literally just sat there and cried and could barely say anything and I'm not crying out of uh, sadness it's, it's, they just have a, a profound impact and so it's hard for me to separate uh, the history of the people that you guys don't know um, this man had a huge, huge impact in my life. He's an old, old man. He's, he became one of my best friends here and helped me in the whole process of creating a healthy church. And so he helped show me, I think, uh, I should have brought Kleenex. What was I think I got a box right here. <laughs> Before I start just doing farmer blows up on the stage. <laughs> I love Valley Center, so you got to shift it to humor to kind of regain the composure. <laughs> Curious, what are you in phase, you guys? I don't even know, but I'll try it one day and see what happens. <laughs> um, where were we? Um, but, but what he taught me in coming here is I thought I was coming to like restart a church or plant a church. The lines are really blurred. But I think that they had... They impacted our family and they taught us that it wasn't planning a church, it wasn't restarting a church, that we were planning our lives in Valley Center. And, and, uh, and still to this day, probably, probably more so, I think of, um, you know, doing weddings is fun. Um, 
But it's the renewing the vows at like 30 years that always gets me like, these people know what they're getting into and they're still like, they're still going along with it. And so I do believe now after 12 years of being here, I have far more conviction that I've been called and that this is where God has planted my life. Um, the nature of restarting or replanting or leading a church, um, it, it, there's, it's, there's no perfect way to do it. We're filled with, we're people. And th- there's, it's always a dynamic, like the church is living and active. And so things change, people grow and you adjust. And so I feel like all the time, whenever I, feel like I'm comfortable, like, okay, we got we to gotta handle on everything. Then everything changes because people adjust and people come in and the, the culture shifts. And so today, I'm not going to read these three passages. I think for time's sake, we have a lot of ground to cover. And, but some familiar passages um, outside of First Timothy chapter 3 is Matthew 16. This happens in Caesarea Philippi. Jesus had taken the apostles, or the, they would-be apostles. He takes them up to Caesarea Philippi, um, this very pagan area. He begins to ask them a question, hey, who do people say that I am? And they all kind of respond. Peter says, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, you're correct. In verse 18, Jesus, for the first time, tells his apostles that he will build his church. So at the time of the occurrence, it was future. And and the reason I bring this one up is it's a reminder to us that what we know as the church is it's Christ's deal. Like he's the founder of the church. It's not our deal. It's it's not, I mean, it's where we've been brought into it, but he is the, the founder, uh, the chief shepherd of this organization, and he needs to be kept front and clear. M- moving on as he goes to the cross and he gives his life, and we know the story, um, the Great Commission then occurs in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. We're all familiar with that one, especially those of us that went to summer nights. And so here he commissions the apostles to go and make disciples. That's, that's the verb. I mean, and, and all the other stuff is attached to that verb of making disciples. And so he has created the church, founded the church, uh, set the church in motion with its mission of making disciples. There is no need for us to come up with a snazzy uh, mission statement following, you know, Starbucks might have a great mission statement. All these organizations have great mission statements that the powers that be come up to sort of put a slick couple one-liners in. It's not our job. Christ gave us our mission. Our mission statement is the Great Commission to go make disciples. And, and from that, in Ephesians, if you'll turn with me to Ephesians, don't lose your spot in uh, Timothy. But towards the front of the Bible, you'll, you'll go a couple books back and you'll hit... Ephesians, yours, Galatians, Ephesians, popcorn, go eat popcorn, help you find it. And moving forward in time in verse 11, for me as a pastor, sort of my commission, like what's my role here? Um, Christ has sort of laid out, not sort of, he laid out the, the role that that individuals have within the body of Christ. And so in verse 11, we read, and he, that's Jesus, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. The purpose for, verse 12, the equipping of the saints, that's y'all. The South really, we don't, in English, don't have the second person plural. Like in y'all is that. It's y'all. So, so the role of the pastor teacher is, is to teach, to lead, to equip, so that y'all, the church, it's not the building, can live out your calling that God has called you to. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service that you could translate that ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. So y'all have been commissioned 
gifted, which we'll look at, um, for the purpose of the building up of the body of Christ, it, it really is beautiful. And it can be overwhelming at times. Um, back to First Timothy. I advised you all to save your spot, and I should have taken my own advice. Practice what you preach, brother, right? You know, now I have to find it. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, the verses that we read, I skipped to the bottom because at the bottom, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy exactly why he's writing what he's writing. And so in verse 14, I am writing these things to you. What things? Probably all of Timothy, but the immediate context in verse uh, 1 through 7, he deals with elders or pastors, or overseers, these three words that are synonymous in the New Testament with that highlight different aspects of the calling. And then in verses 8 through 13, he deals with deacons. And so he says, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I am delayed, because he had that bad problem of always getting arrested and held up. And like, you know, so he, he desired to go see Timothy. He'd, he'd set him in Ephesus to, con- to basically deal with some problems in the local church there. And he hoped to see him, but he can't make any promises because he, he doesn't know what God's going to do with his life. He says, but in case I'm delayed, I write to you so that you will know the most important phrase that I'm hoping for us to see is that one uh, that, that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. So he's saying, I'm writing these things so that individuals who make up the body of Christ, who find themselves at the local church, so that they would have instructions on how they're to conduct their lives. Because the church isn't our institution, it's his institution. And when he says the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Christ isn't dead. He is risen. Amen? He is the chief shepherd of his church. He is still leading this body. I can't tell you how it works. God is amazing in how he, through his spirit, works through a bunch of uh, saved sinners. Um, But he does. Which is the pillar and support of the truth, which I have that highlighted. Gunner doesn't preach topically. Gunner doesn't look for fun topics within the, the, the culture that I feel that we need to sort of address. This is the truth. We're supposed to be the pillar of this truth, and this is what we stand on. This is why we preach through books of the Bible. Today is an exception because we're, we're looking at certain things. But we go a book at a time, we deal with subjects that make us uncomfortable, make you mad at me. I, 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 you know, I say that, people don't really get mad at me. I'm just kind of joking. I step on my toes all the time. But the, the deal is God has revealed his word to us. He's given this to us for our benefit. And we have an obligation as a church to devote ourselves to teaching this so that we would become better disciples, obeying that which he's revealed to us, Much of this pushes against our culture, pushes against being politically correct. And and so we we can't waver. This isn't my institution. There there could be consequences. Like I I read stories of pastors that are persecuted in prison all over the world. And I, you know, honestly, I I hope I never, if I can just be open with you guys, I hope I never find myself in prison. It's one of my worst nightmares. Um, I've watched too many T-shows about locked up abroad and people who like are innocent. And, and, and so I don't want to go to prison. But then the challenge within me is if the law starts coming down on me and saying, I can't preach the word, will God or compromise? And my prayer is that I won't because the word of God makes it pretty clear. That, that if we compromise on, on that point, we're no longer... Christ Church. And there are plenty of churches out there that have church in their name, but they're not biblical churches. <clears throat> Sorry, I have uh, a lot of conviction about this. Um, and so because it's an organization, it's up to us to ensure that we align ourselves with his plan. And that's, that's part of what today is, is, is just a, 
yeah, God, I, I am committed to this today just like I was 12 years ago. I don't know what the future holds, but as we all know, we know who holds the future, and so I'll be faithful to him. So if we go up to the top, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. <clears throat> We read it as a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, this could be, the, you could use this elder, pastor, just to kind of help us in our framework. Um, <clears throat> it is a fine work that he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not be conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil." And he must have a good reputation with those outside of the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And so this, in short, is the qualification of pastor. I don't want to, we've preached through this. I'm sure the messages are online. We can follow up later. But for the sake of time, I'm, I, my aim is not to, um, to unpack these. However, I do want to say that I take, I, I take these verses very seriously I don't take them lightly, and neither should you for the person who is your pastor, whether you're here or you're at another church. Um, This is a serious thing and a high calling for the man who finds himself in the role of a pastor. Um, Then we move on to deacons, uh, verses 8 through 13. Deacons, it's, it's literally the word servant, um, likewise, it's a new category, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. These men must also be tested. Then let them serve as deacons as they, if they are beyond reproach. <clears throat> Women must likewise, new category, and I don't believe that he's speaking to his, the deacon's wives, I believe that this is the category, and we can debate this later, but I, but, but I believe that this is the category of that, that there is the role for a female deacon, that there are deacons within the church that are females. If you take the women out of the church, oh, Lord, help the church. <laughs> like, like, seriously, like God has equipped and called women, and, and, and it, just a quick 10-second, like, some have translated this as wives, but there's no, why would there, on this category that are here to support the elder, why is there, why would there not be any sort of qualification on the elder's wife? So there's no, there's no dealing with the elder's wife. And so it just doesn't make sense. Um, I can give you more resources, but I'll, I need a first time not have the debate with y'all in my mind right now. So, um, but women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate. Faithful in all things. Deacons must also, deacons must be husbands of only one wife, a one woman man, and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Um, So deacons, they function to relieve pressure that's on the elders so that the elders can stay focused on what they've been called to do. We see this in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, I believe is where the reference is. Um, I'm not a big title guy. Never, normally people that are concerned about titles worry me. <clears throat> there are only two people in our church that have name tags. Robert Fredericks and Henry Ramelli. <laughs> Um, it was a good, it was a laugh, you know, we're, we're, we, we, we don't carry around name tags. Um, in their case, they're the exceptions. 
because there are greeters and they welcome people. Um, and um, so kind of with the changing nature of the body, going from eight people to growing to whatever we are now, um, there's the constant tension of honoring scripture and sort of like making uh, like compliance with the government. Like I've mentioned before, we're in a very liberal state and so we, um, we, we, we need to stay compliant to, to, to the point that, so that we're just not compromised. Um, I, I believe that we've in recent months had to formalize leaders that have been serving faithful, faithfully in the shadows for like years, like literally since, if I've been here t- 12 years, most of these individuals have been here for 10 years. Um, uh, um, trying to get back to my notes. I have a whole lot of chicken scratch. I don't like how I laid it down. So I have to figure out which order I'm supposed to go in. Uh, so I've been the lead elder, the pastor of this church since May of 2007. Uh, my prayer to reiterate, there's nothing going on. Like this is my prayer is that I'll serve in this capacity until I retire. Uh, I'm not saying not to the day I die because I'm like all for retirement one day. Like I, I um, <clears throat> and I hope it's decades to go. I'm turning 45 this month. It's another good season for me to kind of do this because 45 is like when I was like, okay, like time is clicking by a lot faster and, and how many more years do I have? Like, and I, you know, talk, hey, when did you retire? What, what year, 65 or 70? Like, when, how many more years am I planning on here? Um, I carry the weight of your souls on me. And I, and I, and I don't carry it lightly. Hebrews 13.7 talks about um, like honoring those in, that are your leaders in the church um, because they are responsible for your souls. So let them do this with joy. And I truly believe um, that serving here is joyful. I am, I am grateful. It doesn't mean it's easy, but I, I am grateful for this body of believers. Um, I was with Jeremiah. I'm going to call you out. I didn't warn you. <clears throat> now he's all nervous, which is great. I like to keep him on his toes. But I was with him on Tuesday morning, and you know, he, he looks at me, and he's like, hey, man, how are you doing? Hey, that's a doing good. He's like, and I worry about pastors. You guys deal with so much garbage. And he's in a profession where like he deals with a lot of garbage. So it like it meant a lot to me that you asked that. And I do feel like I get that question from this 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 body a, a lot. Um, I I realize I've shared already that this year started really heavy, that in February my my one of my best like I was the best man in his wedding. There were three of us in high school that were super like close. And my buddy, Bay, his wife was dying of brain cancer, and she died in February. It was very weighty. Their kids are exactly paired with our kids, except opposite gender. And so flying out to D.C. to go be with my friend, it just, there was like this huge emotional toll on my soul. And and then to come back from that with the pressure of, of Israel followed up with the Africa trip, for the girls, and then right literally days before the Israel trip leaving, Bob Towsley passed. And so there was just like this wave after wave after wave of um, sort of hardship that came my way. And, and so <clears throat> sort of through that season, I realized that um, <clears throat> I, I've always been like a solo elder here, but I do believe within the, the plurality of, of leadership, and I've never been a lone ranger. And I've mentioned that there are men that have been serving sort of, <clears throat> since we're not big in titles, there, there are men who have functioned very much as elders to me, but making it more formal to where I'm going to them on a regular basis, on a monthly basis, more for accountability of my soul, a welfare check on me. And so I'm super grateful for these men. And then we have guys and women that are, that are deacons in the church, um, I'll just kind of, if you guys go to the next slide, as a quick, uh, a quick sketch here. So elders, there's me, there's Rick Restivo, Dave Johnson, Scott Tolstad, and Jim Reeser. And then deacons, a lot of these guys border like Don is really like, like, it's like, where do you put him? He's like, I, in my mind, he's an elder. He's there, I can talk to him, he's looking down. But, but like, I super love Don. Like, I, I, like Don 
is an elder and leads the worship team. And, and really, the reality is why he's not on probably the top category is like he does so much, it's like I don't want to burden him with one another more meeting. And so um, Henry and Karen are, are in everything with, with uh, like member care, like just caring for individuals. Um, you know, Monday morning at five in the morning, Pat Towsley calls him and he go, rushes over to his house her house and, and, and cares for her. And, and we, they're just all over the place and really help and serve. There's Joel, who really is a deacon that serves in the capacity, sort of as lay pastor to care for the elders, very much a shepherd's heart. And then there's Debbie Johnson, who's teaching Sunday school, but she is, uh, you know, her dream job I often share. She's our bookkeeper, but she's so much more than that. She, her dream job would be to be a forensic CPA for, like, the FBI. And it's like, that just sounds horrible. Like, I, um, and so... Um, like I, I, I'm super grateful for the leadership team that, that is here. I, I truly feel like there is a team and people that aren't on this list who function in their calling as a Christian to exercise their gifts. Um, it, it's a huge blessing. You can go to the next slide. Um, I'm not sure what it is, but okay, just write that one. And so, so we see in... 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see elders, we see deacons. Within the book of Timothy, or letter of Timothy, and throughout the epistles, really, is you see the body of Christ, y'all, that I've already mentioned. Um, <laughs> early in my Christian life, so I think I got saved. I have to get to heaven to figure out where it was. I think I got saved a lot earlier in my life, but I think the fruit of it sort of caught up with me in the mid-90s, like 90, uh, like, like some, I got out of the resisting evading arrest in 1995, and I think by 96 is where things started to like take root. And so somewhere between 1993 and the fall of 1996, I know I was saved by the end of 1996. Somewhere in there, I know I got saved. Um, in the mid-90s, I found myself at church. I was an active-duty Navy SEAL, and I was going to church on Sunday nights at Horizon, the main campus, and Miles McPherson was, was uh, leading an evening service, and I, I remember during that time, this is not a criticism of the church at all. This is more of a, a, a you know, I think it was God working within me, that verse that Dave Johnson brought up Ephesians 2.10, uh, for we are his workmanship, which the word is poema, which, which you could literally translate, it's beautiful, that you are God's poem, that he is, he's crafting something beautiful within you to be used for his purpose. And so I, I sensed something within me that was challenging me to, to do more within the church, but, but Horizon was a very established church, and, and, and so it's, it's I, I think I have to get to the next part, is I left on deployment and came back, and I went to church when I got back, and somebody said, are you going with Miles when he leaves? I'm like, well, where's he going? Like, what's happening? He's like, oh, he's starting a church called The Rock. I looked at my buddy, he's like, I think we'll go. I'm like, well, he's going, I guess I'll go because we carpool, you know, <laughs> like, well, uh, and, and so then we found ourselves at The Rock, which was like instant... It was like a mega church church plant. And so the opposite, I used to say I felt like all the, the spots on the team were taken, but that's really not fair at Horizon. It was that I was growing. And then the extreme was you have this, this new mega church that they needed all kinds of help. And so there was, I was suddenly challenged with, if you're here, this is your church, you need to be serving. And don't blame us if you can't find anything to do, like do anything. And, and, and so there was this turmoil within me. I didn't realize that this is all in hindsight after Bible college, um, realizing what the scriptures say and then seeing, oh yeah, I was living that. So Ephesians 2.10, I just read it, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. There were works for me to do and there was something intrinsically within me that's like, I gotta start doing something, but I didn't know how that worked itself out. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, we read, as each one has received a special gift, 
employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So the scripture makes it clear. Yeah, you're saved by grace, but as soon as you're saved, God has then given you a spiritual gift that you're to employ, to put to use, to, to put into motion. And so it really took the new church and being there in the infancy when the pastor's like pleading for help every single service that it was like, I, I think I'm supposed to serve. But I had the problem is that this whole U.S. government had me on the road 260 days out of the year. And so I went to one of the pastors and said, hey, I want to serve. How can I help? And he's like, okay. What, what? And I'm like, oh, there's a little catch. I'm on the road 260 days of the year as a Navy SEAL. And he looked at me and he kind of laughed. He's like, so you want to really commit? And, and he's kind of like scratching his head. He's like, can you shake people's hands? Can you smile? I said, I can. I think so. Uh, Anna made me get better at it. <laughs> and, and, and he said, listen, when you're in town, what I want you doing is standing in the front door welcoming people and shaking their hands. And then we'll let God kind of lead you there. And that's how I ended up here. So be careful if you're the usher greeter with a name tag. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the, the point is that if this is your home church, like, we need you to exercise whatever gift it is. And, I, and I, I don't have an agenda. All I know is that, according to Ephesians 4, my role through teaching the Word of God is, is to help you grow closer to Christ and to discover uh, the gift that you've been given and then to employ it, to put it to use. There's no recession in, in spiritual gifts. Like, you're, to, you're constantly employed. There is work available for you. Um, through my experience early in my Christian life and through the military, I can't divorce myself of the, the history that I've had. I realize that there are certain uh, lasting implications in how I lead. Um, number one, I shy away from titles. I, I hate them. I, I don't like titles. I don't like what they bring out in people. Um, but the Bible calls for t- t- titles. Um, and, and, and so I desire to help you getting involved and getting you to exercise whatever gift that God has given you. Um, I'm not going to say there's a need and then force you into something that God hasn't created you for, unless you're like, I have no idea what is I'm supposed to do, how can I serve? And it's like, we'll start shaking hands and let's just see, like my father-in-law always says you can't steer a parked car. And so let's just start pushing you down the road and see where it takes you. Um, but if you come to me with an idea like, hey, pastor, I think this is a great idea, I'm never going to say, okay, I'm going to go run with it. I'll be like, it's great that God's calling you to this. How, how can we help you? And I'm jazzed right now. You know, Brian, I've been looking at him all over. Where's Brian? Right in front of me. I knew I kept seeing him. So Brian, like three or four years ago, probably not that long, probably two years ago, started talking about Celebrate Recovery. And I'm like, I'm all for this. How can I help you? And so we sent him like two years ago to a conference. We've been doing this stuff. And I'm not forcing it. And so then about three months ago to say, we have enough people. We want to get this going. It's like, praise the Lord. I'm so excited to see what God's going to do through this. And so I want you to be involved from the nursery, from Sunday school to the worship team. Don Don has said, I have him on the record, that if I could harness my voice, I would be a rock star because I am really high-pitched. He auditions me every week, and I, he's not letting me up there. And I think harnessing means, like, it's not possible. <laughs> but, but I know. I've tried. It's not, you know, uh, it's not, I'm not going anywhere with that. Where are we at? Uh, not, um, from setting up to the mornings to us. Like, whatever it is God's called you to do, I w- we want to help you. Um, and I... I desire to be accessible to everybody, but obviously I, I can't always. And so that's where I'm like super grateful for the leadership team of people uh, being able to go out there and to serve. Like I really appreciate Joel. Like I can't always get to the hospital and Joel almost always goes to the hospital to visit people. And so I super like appreciate uh, the, the moles that I have out there. Like if Joel says, hey, you need to go visit, like it's, and it's like, okay, I'll, I, I clear my schedule to, to go. Um, and so last, lastly, I want to address a couple things here. 
uh, namely about financial matters. This is not, we've already taken the offering. This has nothing to do about the offering. But one of the things that people always ask about, you know, when I first became a Christian, uh, when I was still uh, pushing against the church, I used to say, oh, they just want my money. I had a $1.38 in my bank account. I'm not, <laughs> I don't know why I was so uh, guarding, you know. It had nothing to do with money. The issues were otherwise. And so I want to share about some of our principles of finances here. Um, is n- Number one, we believe that we are stewards of that what God uh, brings to us. Um, the the opposite w- would be um, that we believe that God has put us here to harvest resources from the people who come. Um, I say that sort of tongue-in-cheek, but there are many organizations that, that do um, believe in that. We don't ask for money here. We take an offering, but we don't ask for money. Uh, when I first arrived, the church was literally in fumes and in, in dire straits. It, it took outside organizations who I'm very grateful for. There was a church, First Baptist Mira Mesa. They've changed their name now. I think they're Summit Point Church. They were a huge uh, church in helping us financially to get us here. There was a, the San Diego Southern Baptist Association, which funded um, my salary in helping with the church. And then the state denomination helped and so we had outside organizations come in to help with the restart. Um, we, we now have an emergency fund of about six months that we have uh, saved and been very frugal and diligent with our resources. Um, we are debt-free as of January 2000, or not January, I don't know what month it is. I don't know why I say January. Um, but as of January, uh, so I did it again. Why is it? It just seems like it, the new year flows out. At some month, in 2012, um, the bonds matured and we paid off our last debt of the building. And so the land that we have, the, the building, the lower lot down there, uh, we, we own free and clear and we operate on a debt-free budget. Uh, we commit to giving 10% of our projected budget to missionaries. That's monthly support that we give out to the various missionaries. If excess comes in, Beyond what we project, we go upwards to 20% for missionary care. Um, that would be things like meeting emergency needs. The last one that happened the emergency need-wise um, was Esther Wagnell when her dad was dying in Minnesota and she found herself in Kenya. Um, that we just immediately called her and said, if you want to buy a ticket, we'll buy it right now. And so that came out of excess. That, that's not in the 10%. Uh, last year when we did the, the visit to the Mannings to pay for their, that, that came out of the excess um, above and beyond the 10% to care for them. Uh, pastoral visits, when they happen in field, that comes out of the exceeding the 10% budget. When the girls most recently went to visit uh, um, Lindsay in, in Africa, that was funded by the church for missionary care that goes in that 10 to 20% above the, the, the missionary care. Um, the only exception that we have for asking for money, and it only started because I was scolded once when a missionary had a crisis. We had the ability to pay for it. We met the needs. And then when it, somebody's like, why didn't you let us know? We would have given. And so, so now we'll meet the need, and then we open up, we let people know that there's a need, and then whatever comes in, we just send it to them. And so I will say um, that God has been very gracious to us as a congregation. Um, I recognize that this comes in large part through y'all, us, who give. And so I am very gracious. Scott, who is one of the elders, who leads like the finance t- team, he's going to get up and share a little bit. Um, one of the questions, before, but before he comes up, one of the questions I often hear is, who are the paid staff? And in a way, it kind of makes me smile because that question, to me, reflects health of the church. There's not this huge divide between the, the professional ministers and the laity of the church, which I think is biblical, um, um, so the paid staff, it's myself, it's Melanie, and there's the landscaper, 
and the cleaning crew that comes on Saturday. Those are the paid positions. Um, I will say before Scott comes up that often when budget comes up, people will ask me, are you taken care of? Are you cared for? And so as I was getting ready to share, I like had to sit down to, with Melanie and say, she's like, am I in trouble? I'm like, you're not in trouble, like, which is exactly what I would feel. Um, but just, you know, do you feel cared for? And I, I will say that um, we live in a very expensive town, in a very expensive city, in probably the most expensive state. And so we feel very well taken care of, um, emotionally and financially that we can survive and live where we do um, full-time vocationally. So I'm very, like, very grateful. And on behalf of Melanie, she's also very grateful because I got her position, uh, her permission uh, to share that. Um, so with that, Scott's going to come up wherever Scott is. You need to use this microphone. I need to turn off this As I was listening to Gunnar, I, can you hear me? Do I need this testing? Okay. Okay. Uh, so I, I, was, I thought I had everything down that I was going to say, but as I was listening to Gunnar, I've adjusted a bit. So if I, I fumble, please bear with me. Um, I, th I thought I'd start with, with a term that, that, that I've come to learn in my Bible studies, grace orientation. And Ginny and I attended a, a fairly large church for, for quite a while. And um, I'm not here to disparage any, any church, but I want to share the, di the, the difference in the biblical philosophy of grace points reflected on our name. And that is the understanding of grace. Our, our pastor understands grace. We're saved by grace through faith. Uh, as long as God wants us on this earth, he provides logistical grace every day until he decides our mission's over and takes us home. He'll give us whatever we need to sustain our, our, our lives here. We don't have <clears throat> a marketing plan. We don't send out dunning letters to put the arm on people. Uh, we re in, our, in our past church life we receive those letters uh hey we've noticed your contributions are lagging trying to guilt people into into giving we don't have that here we don't have an outside marketing company that uh we've hired to increase collections marketing company getting a percentage of it these are things that churches do that's just uh uh, uh does not reflect the, the biblical mandate of grace and i'm uh, we're so fortunate to have a pastor in a church that, that understands that. <clears throat> um, second thing I want to do before, before we get to the numbers is give you a little bit of background on why I'm standing up here. I, I have two jobs. My full-time job, <clears throat> excuse me, I work as a private fiduciary. I administer estates through a probate or through a trust and I also have clients who are living that uh, are unable to manage their affairs and I manage those either through a trust or through a, a court-ordered conservatorship so I'm used to dealing with, with numbers secondly I work part-time for the Escondido Police Department in the financial crimes unit and one of the uh, larger aspects of my caseload are embezzlements where someone in position of trust in an organization or a business is absconded with, with funds. If you want to go ahead and put up the next slide. Uh, this is kind of a, a broad view of our, our budget. So when, when Gunnar asked me to be on the finance committee, uh, he completely o opened everything up. He met at the bank, gave me access to the, to the to the bank and all the files, completely open open book, and in one hundred percent of the embezzlements that I've worked and prosecuted, excuse me, there has been no system of checks and balances in place in the business or the organization. And not surprising, but I'm, I'm pleased to report that that's not the case here. There's a very good system of checks and balances, and from the time you 
placed your contribution in that bag as it gets to the bank and then eventually gets out to pay bills. There are multiple eyes on every transaction, uh, which is a, 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 a very sound system. And that's very important. Um, so you, you should be uh, uh, rest assured there, there's a very good sound system in place. Uh, I'll have the, the figures, uh, some sheets after the service. If anybody's interested in, in those, I can give you a copy of those. If you have any questions, I can answer those as well. And um, I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. I, was, I know. I know we're running running late here. So thank you for your time. It should be on. There we go. Okay. So First Timothy chapter three, the very last verse that we're going to close with here. Um, verse sixteen is what scholars believe was a a hymn, probably one of the earliest hymns that we that we have record of that the early believers adopted, um, that music very much is a way to uh, put theological truth into our, our minds, which ultimately make it to our hearts. Um, this is what the statement says, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the spirit was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So the point here is it's all about Jesus. Um, he, he is the center of what we stand for here. Um, we are committed to growing our body spiritually. Um, it was Chuck Smith who coined the phrase, um, healthy sheep reproduce. And so as we grow, you can't help but to reproduce spiritually, to, to share Christ, to, to, to let your light so shine among you that the world knows um, who you are. One pastor said this, unity is gained slowly and lost quickly, therefore must be labored for continually. Unity is so important that Christ often prayed for it and Paul repeatedly commanded it. And so my prayer for us as a body, that as we strive towards fulfilling the Great Commission, strive towards growing in godliness, strive towards uh, helping one another and reaching our community for Christ, is that we would strive for unity. Um, none of us are perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect church because churches are people, not buildings. There might be perfect buildings out there, um, but then talk to any plumber. There's not like it's just like it's, uh, and and so that means that we need grace with one another. We are we are wired differently, specifically for God's plan. We're not robots. We are His poem. And so my prayer, um, f for me in this service, for us, that this would be a time of if this is your church, a, a time that we consecrate ourselves to God. Um, we need to ask him to lead us as a body. We've been, as Alberto always says, this little corner on the hill that God has given us, this little corner on the hill to be a light for his sake. And so as I stand here today, um, I want to pray uh, affirming my commitment to God and to you all as, as the flock here. Um, I would like to ask all of us, we've been sitting down for a long time, but if, for you all to, to affirm by standing um, as we close in prayer. So please stand and let's seek God uh, and his blessing on our body. Father, we stand today um, seeking you. Um, affirming that you are our God. Seeking, affirming that you have called us here to this place um, as a body of believers to be a light unto you. Father, we ask that you would help us, Lord, first and foremost as a church, uh, to stand for your truth, um, 
we're told here in Timothy that this, this idea of being pillars of truth. And so, Father, I ask that you would help us to stand on the word of God, that you would help this to be a place that is word-focused. May your spirit so indwell us, Lord, that we would have uh, the understanding of your text, that we would hear your voice, that we would uh, live out uh, the gifts that you have called us to. Father, we pray that this would be a body that uh, reaches out to a lost and dying world. Um, we ask, Lord, for your protection. Lord, as our culture is shifting away from Christianity, we realize that uh, there will be more and more pressure on churches that proclaim the word of God. And so, Father, I pray for our body that you would keep us um, faithful to you, um, loyal to you, um, that we would honor you with our lives. Help us to be a grace-based body, uh, holding ourselves to the very highest standard and everybody else to the very lowest standard. Um, for we recognize, Lord, that you um, have been gracious to us, you have been merciful to us, and you've changed us from within. And so, Father, we thank you, we praise you. Uh, we ask that you would lead us now. In Christ's good name we pray, amen.